Are you thankful for God this morning, church? Share a story with you. Don't normally share like personal things like this, but uh, my girls were gone this weekend on a little getaway. Had the house to myself. Any dads know what that life is like? Mm, woo! Right? But God's been doing some awesome things in uh, my life and the life of my family. And uh, got this front porch, and the house was quiet. Uh, thinking through this message and just walked out on the porch and just thanked God for being God. You ever have those moments? You know what I'm talking about? And often all we can do is just sing hallelujah, how grateful we are uh, for a God that loves us and a God that cares for us. And I'm thankful. You thankful this morning, church? Well, my name is Luke. I'm glad to be back with you. I've uh, been gone for a few weeks. Last week, uh, desperate times call for desperate measures. I uh, went to uh, Panama on that mission trip, and I've, I told First Service that was the gift that just kept on giving. And so had uh, had the sermon ready, uh, it was ready to go Saturday. Just it was not it was not good. It was just not good. Uh, so I, I text the guys that work with some incredible men, and I said I really don't care who preaches. I've got a sermon. I'll email it to you because Luke ain't, you know. So uh, Todd. Uh, he, he just did a wonderful job. Thank you, Pastor Todd, for filling in. Such short notice, uh, but feeling better, ready uh, to be with you this morning. Uh, but Pastor Todd last week was in 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're in our uh, sermon series called Letters to My Son. And in uh, chapter 5, we saw this shift, right? For the first four chapters of the letter, what Paul had been uh, doing for Timothy, with Timothy, for the church at Ephesus was uh, establishing some doctrine, rooting out false teaching, reestablishing the gospel. It's all about Jesus. Uh, remember, the false teachers have left Jesus out of his own story. And so they brought Jesus back into the, the picture, and, and he starts lining out some doctrine. This is how the church should, be, uh, uh, should function. These are some offices you need to have within the church. This is how things should be ran. And so he establishes a lot of doctrine, a lot of, a lot of head knowledge, right? And then in chapter uh, 5, we saw on the screen last week, it read, uh, right, right, doctrine without action is useless. Like, there's no point, right? We can have all the head knowledge. We can have all the information that we need. You can go to every single Bible study offered. You can have all these facts. You can memorize Scripture. But if you don't live it out, it doesn't matter at all, does it, church? And so what Paul is doing with Timothy, what Paul is doing for the church at Ephesus, he's like, hey, you got all this stuff. But in chapter 5, he elevates loving people. Take care of people. Take everything that you've been given and do something with it. Live out your faith. So hopefully last week that was a challenge to us all. We can have all the knowledge that we want. We can have all the knowledge we can obtain. But if you're not living out a life of faith, all that knowledge is for nothing. Then we get to chapter 6. So I want you to open your Bibles, go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to read a portion of it. And here's what I want us to take away from today. There's going to be a main thought, but as I said in the first service, that this main thought that we're going to take away today, it's, it's simple in statement, but difficult in application. You, you ever had something like that? You ever come across something in the Word of God? I mean, it's something so simple, simple to read, simple to process, but so difficult to do. 
That's what we're going to look at this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 3 through 12. So some people may contradict our teaching. But these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different is arrogant and lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. This stirs up arguments, ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. Does that happen today, church? It does. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt. And they have turned their backs on the truth. To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. I want you to highlight that. I want you to underline that. I want you to star that in your Bibles. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, craving money, have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. You ever seen that? But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many witnesses. You see what Paul is doing here in, in, in the closing of his message is he's, he's, he's still rooting out some of the false teaching. And then here at the very end, he, he elevates Christ. So what I want us to, to look at, it'll help us with the argument. What we're going to look at this morning is, is verse 5. This was the false teaching that he was dealing with. If you reread verse 5, it says, To them, a show of godliness is just a way to become Wealthy. This is what the false teachers were presenting in this particular church. And what they were doing was, was creating a, a culture of works. Literally, I read from one author, he writes that these false teachers in this time, they, they were treating godliness as a means to gain wealth. Literally like a charm on a, a bracelet, something to, to be obtained to gain status. And they would walk around and they would promote godliness as a way to, to, to grow in, in, in wealth, grow in status. And so what they were doing amongst their church is those that were wealthy were, were viewed as the most godly. 
So what does that do in, in a culture, in a society, in a, in a church setting if, if wealth is promoted along with godliness? It, it means that the, the more wealthy I am, the, the more godly I am. The more wealthy I am, the more faithful I am. The more wealthy I am, the closer I am to God. This was what was being taught, that, that godliness was a means to find wealth. Could you imagine being at that church at that particular time, walking in and going, well, I don't, I don't have that horse and wagon, you know, that's nice, I, I, don't, I don't have those clothes, I don't live on that side of the kingdom, like, I must not be following God like them. This was the culture that was being taught by these false teachers, that, that godliness was a means to gain wealth. They were misrepresenting God. They were misrepresenting the gospel. And you can see the harm that it was causing. But man, it was just like, it was, it was a badge. They, they, were, they were using God. Like, hey, got my God badge. I'm wealthy, look at me. And, and, and Paul catches wind of all this, and, and he's still rooting out this false teaching. And, and so we see what happens in verse 5, but I want you to go to so verse 6. Verse 6, six changes everything. It's going to be on the screen. I, I've simplified it for you. It, it writes, godliness, big word there, with contentment. Godliness with contentment is great wealth. See what the false teachers were doing is they were giving just enough truth, right? Godliness is gain. Could we all agree with that scenario? I mean, you got God, you got, you got something, right? So, not everything that they were teaching was wrong, but they were leaving something crucial out of the equation. And so what Paul does in verse 6 is he takes this, this half-truth that these false teachers were teaching, and, and he plugs in the rest of the equation. Godliness with contentment is great wealth, great gain. You see, he, he takes their, their argument, he takes their stance, he adds something to it, and he flips it on its head. He changes everything. Godliness with contentment is great wealth. So what he is doing here, at the very end of this letter, we read about money, we, we read about these circumstances, but I, I want you to filter through all that. I want you to see what he's doing. Paul, at the very end of this letter, is elevating Jesus. He's elevating Christ. So he opened the letter. It just makes sense that he would close this way. He opened the letter. If you remember all the way back to chapter 1, he says, this is the purpose of our teaching. This is the purpose of my writing, is that all believers would be filled with love in Christ Jesus. That all believers would, would be full of love, active in their faith, walking hand in hand with Christ. So it makes sense at the very end of his letter, he, he would filter through all this nonsense and he would elevate Christ. He would make it all about Jesus. And he throws in this one little word, contentment. Contentment, but you know the word of God. You know that we see Paul teaching about this in other places of Scripture. I want you to go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, 11 through 13. I had a Tim Tebow joke in the first service. It fell flat, so we won't even go there. But you should know Philippians chapter 4, 11 through 13. It reads, not that I was ever in need. This is Paul. Not that I was ever in need. For I've learned how to be content 
with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through whom, church? Christ, who gives me strength. So Paul taught on contentment a lot. What he's reminding Timothy here, what he's reminding this church, is that it's godliness accompanied with contentment in Christ. In all situations, that is the great gain. It's going to be on the screen. I want you to write this down. I want you to remember this. I want you to write it in your notes. That contentment is not self-sufficiency, but Christ-sufficiency. Did y'all catch that? Do you know what it means? That so oftentimes in life, we depend on ourselves, don't we? Our lives are marked by situations and circumstances where we've got to make a choice, church. We've got to make a choice. When those situations occur, when those seasons happen, which route are we going to go? Am I going to rely on Luke? Am I going to rely on Luke's understanding of the situation? Am I going to rely on Luke's strength? Am I going to rely on Luke's bank account? Am I going to rely on myself to get through that, or am I going to rely on Christ? Now, if we pick the first route, self-sufficiency, you've probably done it. I've done it. How far did that take us? Did it get us very far down the road, church? Nope. So when those situations occur, we've got to make the decision, perhaps even this morning, are we going to choose Christ or are we going to choose self? Because in the Word of God, Paul is begging the people, be content in Christ, not yourself. Not what you can do. Not what you can provide. Because we're going to fail in those situations. It reminds me of a story of a rich king. Some of you may know this story. A very, very wealthy king. This particular king was afflicted with some sort of ailment, some sort of illness. Something was, was bothering him in his life that was that was. Stealing his joy, he, he wasn't content. He was unhappy. This king was so afflicted, so unhappy, so discontent that seemingly he was depressed. So uh, the king brought in his wise counsel, his advisors. They came into the room. He expressed to them what was going on in his life. And he's like, I just can't, I just can't be content. I, I, I can't be happy. Something's going on in my life. And so these wise men said, you you know what you you need, king? This will really help you. This will give you contentment. We need to find somebody in the kingdom. Let's find a man who is truly content. One that is full of happiness and joy and contentment. And when we find that man, we, we we need to ask that man for a garment, his shirt. And if we take that man's shirt and give it to you, you, you'll be content. King said, all right, that's a simple solution for a seemingly difficult problem. So he takes all of these men in the kingdom and he sends them out. He says, find that man for me. They look for months. 
King of Sarvish is not having much luck. We, we can't find anyone that's fully content and happy. And he says, well, I'm the king. I can do anything I want. So uh, let's find scouts and hunters from all four corners of the kingdom. They, they know every path, every town, every village. Like, we're going to find somebody. So he hires more men. Let's find somebody. A few weeks go by, they found a man. You believe it, church? They found a man who was fully content, happy as can be, didn't need a thing. So they find this man, and they bring him all the way to the king. They present him in front of the king, and the king said, are you sure this is the man? He's happy as can be, sir. He's fully content. Well, he doesn't even have a shirt on. Did you get it? Think about it. He's not wearing a shirt. And he's happy as can be. Fully content. You see, in this life, we are tricked by Satan into thinking that contentment can be resolved. We can have contentment with material things, don't we? We, we are tricked into thinking, if I only had this, if I could only make more money, if I bank account only read this, I could have happiness, I could have contentment. And what Paul is simply doing here is stating contentment comes from Christ and Christ alone. That's it. You can search for whatever you want to to fill the Christ-sized hole in your heart, but it can only be filled by Jesus. Are you content in Christ? Contentment in all circumstances, church, has nothing to do with stuff. It has everything to do with Jesus. So a big question that you need to ask yourself this morning is Christ enough? Is he enough? Are you fully content in Christ? But we need to read the warning this morning. The warning starts in verse 9. And I'll paraphrase the warning. It says, those who long to be rich, if you really look at the Greek towards the end of what we read, it says they will impale themselves with grief and destruction and ruin. Those who long after anything other than Christ will plunge themselves into ruin and destruction. Let's read from The Richest Man to Ever Live, Ecclesiastes 5.10. It says, those who love money will never have enough. Did you hear that? Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. So the analogy, the illustration used in chapter 6 is money. Right? We use this verse to just, I don't know, sometimes pick on wealthy people. There's nothing wrong with money. The desire for it, that's the danger. So I want us to look past the money analogy. It's important. But what, what Paul is saying is if you long after anything other than Jesus, you're plunging yourself into ruin. 
Where's your heart's affection? So many times, you, you may be someone that was blessed with the gift not to really desire money. You know anybody like that? They just really don't care. I'm good. So when you read this, you're like, no problem. But when you read this in Scripture where it says, where it says wealth, you may insert health. If I only had, right, good, good health, then I could be content. And before long in our lives, it's filled with all these if-only statements. I, I'm, I'm right there with you in the, in the health scenario, right? I just I want my family to be healthy. I want to be healthy. I often think, man, if God took my health, like would I, would I serve him? Would I serve him? I often think how much I love serving him in this capacity. Man, if he took my voice, would I serve him? If he bound me to a wheelchair and I couldn't get up here and walk, like, would I serve him? Like, so I have all this wrapped up in, in my health. They need to be gone like that, church. And so I, I think often, like, man, would, would I serve him if I didn't have this? Or, or maybe that's not you at all. Maybe, maybe you're good. Take me out. It's all good. I love the Lord. But, but man, like, if, if only I had a different job, Lord. Like, I don't even have to make more money. Like, some of you will wake up in the morning and you're miserable. Like, you're just like, God, if you could just change the circumstance of my job, I'll take a pay cut, Lord. Change it. You been there? You know what I'm talking about? Been there? Some of you right there, right now. Like, just put me somewhere else. And, and if you provide that, man, I'll be happy. I'll be content. I'll have everything I want. How about this one? Some parents in the room, you've had these conversations with the Lord, and you're like, Lord, I did everything that you asked me to do. I brought them to church, I taught them the word, I prayed for them, I did everything that I could. But if you would just bring my child into fellowship with you, I would be happy and content and full. How about this one? Those that still have little ones in the home. You're like, God, if you could just get me through this season, you with me, moms and dads? You with me? Let's just get me through the season, Lord. Ah! Then I would be happy and content. You see, so many of us are discontent with where we're at, and we don't even realize it. That so much of our faith walk, so much of our journey with Christ is filled with these if-only statements. If you would just change this circumstance, if you just do this, God, then... I could be happy. And here's what we could do. We could have a board on this side of the room, a giant whiteboard, and we could all write in our situation and our circumstance. Are we all dealing with stuff, church? You're making me feel like I'm alone up here. Are we dealing with stuff? And we could all come over here, and we could write that situation. And we were like, God, if you would just move right there, then I would have it. If you just fix that, God, then I would be happy. Am I preaching to anyone? But what Paul is saying in Philippians 4, backed up in 1 Timothy, is that you have everything. You have it all. It's a trick of Satan for us to think that we need something else in our life other than Christ. And he is begging the readers, listen, like I've learned the secret of living. And here's what he says in Philippians 4, in every situation... He's like, I've had a lot, I've had little, I've had good days, I've had bad days, I've been full, I've been hungry, I've figured it out. It's in Christ. 
That's where my sufficiency lies. It's in Him, in Him alone. I get it, church. It's so easy. Remember the, the statement that we began with that, man, it's so easy to say but so difficult to apply. What does this really mean? What does it mean? So, so many of you are like, yeah, I, I, t- tomorrow's going to be a tough day, but I'm going to wake up and be like, I got Christ, but do you feel any different? Just claiming that statement, does that help you? Probably not. So you're like, what does this mean? How can this guy stand up here on Sunday morning and say, yeah, life can be less than desirable at times, but we got Jesus, Woo! Like, how does that help me? You feel that way? I've felt that way before. So I'd be failing you if I didn't show you how this actually fleshes out in your life. So when the circumstance happens, when there's a desire in your heart for something other than Christ to fill a void that you feel like will make you happy and content, this is what you need to do. You need to go back to the moment in which Christ saved you. Can you remember that? Some of you, that was a long time ago. And and here's what it means to be content in Christ. You go back to that moment, and it seems like your world is on fire. Nothing is working out. You can go back to that moment. Here's what Paul means about finding the secret in every situation. You can go back to that moment, and you can go, you know what? God, you loved me enough to send Jesus to save my soul. That's enough. Do you believe that, church? Or is that just words this morning? Do you believe it? So when we talk about the sufficiency of Christ, when we talk about him being enough, you need to remember the state of your soul before Christ. We were doomed and destined for hell in our sin. And Jesus came along and he saved you. Praise God, right? That's enough. Think about your life before him. Jesus is enough. Going back to that moment that he saved you ought to be enough. Like, man, I'm a child of God. It doesn't matter what happens in my life. I'm in Christ. It doesn't matter what happens to me. It doesn't matter what happens to my bank account. It doesn't matter what happens to my health. It doesn't matter what happens to my job. I've got Christ. And that's enough. And so Paul is begging you and I to remember Christ's sufficiency. That he's enough. That he's got you. He's going to take care of you. And maybe we need to be reminded this morning that oftentimes the situations that we were to write on the board, they may not ever change, church. Perhaps they may even get worse. But can you believe the truth that Christ is enough? That the promises of God are are real and they're true and the situation may never change, but he's not going to leave you alone. Amen? That he's always going to be there. He's going to be the friend that that gives you that hug, that lifts you up. He's going to help you through whatever situation you're going through. Like he's there. And he loves you. And you're a child of God. And on your worst of days, that's what you have to remember. That he's enough. Reminded of the words of a famous hymn writer, Charles Wesley of the Wesley family. He writes, Thou, O Christ, are all I want. More than all in thee I find. 
Is he enough? Is Christ enough for you? So here's what I want to do. We're, we're, we're kind of in the halfway point. We're, we're finished with the first letter. We're going to move in to the second letter next week. So what I thought right here, it's, a, it's, it's perfect timing, really. As we get to the end of this letter, and Paul so eloquently in one verse elevates Christ. He's reminding Timothy, he was reminding the church that it's all about Jesus, it's always been about Jesus. And here's what I want to do this morning. Maybe, just maybe, here's where you're at in your life. You're putting stock in a whole lot of things other than Christ. And, And maybe right now, is a time for us collectively as a church or you individually just to confess about where you're at in your faith? Maybe this topic of contentment has brought to the surface some discontentment in your life that you didn't know was there. Do you like to add to the equation? You like to... Jesus plus something else. Jesus, Jesus and something like Jesus and this. If I had this, when at the end of the day, it's it's just Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It'll always be Jesus. Is He sufficient enough for you? So here's what I'm going to ask at the at the end, kind of the the midway point, the end of the first letter. Is this moment we're going to sing the song gratitude again? I love that song. How thankful we are for Jesus and what he did. And maybe you need to come down front. You don't, I mean, you can. We don't have to make it awkward. You can't. I'll be down here. Grant will be down here. Like we love to pray for you, with you. Maybe right where you're at, you just need to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that in my faith journey, I don't trust you enough. I don't don't love you enough to put you at the center of the equation. I always feel like I have to have something else other than you to be content. And maybe we all need to repent of that this morning. Say, God, I'm sorry. Because make no mistake about it, God is up there. He's not mad at you. Sometimes I think he gets frustrated with us a little bit. You believe that? He's just up there scratching his head like, come on. I've given you everything you could ever possibly need in the person and works of Jesus Christ. Trust him. So maybe you need to repent this morning and say, you know what, Jesus is enough. I don't need anything else. Maybe you've never done that. So would you stand with me this morning? We're going to sing a song. Here's what I want you to do. Respond to Christ in some way, whether it's right where you're at, praying, repenting, God, I'm sorry that I've made this life and my happiness, my contentment about something other than you. Maybe you just need to sing a song of gratitude to your heavenly Father. But I'm going to challenge you this morning, church. Respond to Christ in some way this morning.